In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, so tonight's lesson um, is something that's just been weighing on my heart, and it has to do with that specific passage. Again, if we could pull up one more time for me, Brother John. Which is, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And there's many examples in Scripture where uh, people went down, uh, the Israelites would go to war, and there's all these different examples of where praise and triumph and thanksgiving was before the war even started. Right? Judah had to go first in many scenarios. Right? Even a person named Judah would go first in many scenarios. Judah, Judah means praise and thanksgiving. So these supernatural events happened where God was foreshadowing different things and he was explaining things, sending Judah first, sending Judah first, sending Judah first. And uh, so with that, I just, in my heart, when I think of a, sh- when, I've, when I've heard a preacher say, shout unto God with a voice of triumph, a specific type of shout enters my mind. Because there's different kinds of shouts, right? There's a shout like you're afraid. And there's a shout like you're angry, right? And then there's a shout of triumph. And when I envision a shout of triumph, I envision almost like a sound of relief and excitement. When I see, when I imagine people going to war, before the war starts and everybody's scared and everybody's angry and everybody's ready to fight, I just imagine the, the guys just ready to shout, just, ah, like trying to intimidate, right? They're trying to scare people. They're, they're just obsessed with anger. They're ready to fight. But when the war is over and everything's done and your team is won and your, your friends are still standing, the shout is totally different. I imagine it's mixed with praising God. You know? And I, I just, on my heart, I just, forgive me for being so zealous, but I just want to let one out. I just want to let out a little praise, a little shout of triumph. So this is how it sounds in my heart, which is just, imagine seeing my brothers and sisters still standing and winning. And it's a different sound. And what's interesting to me is how many examples in scripture where they would let out that sound before the war even started. Praise before the war. And you, when you think about war, you always think, what are the drums? Like, I think about the drums. What do the drums sound like? And so when other armies would wage war, and they would move in an army, I bet they would sound very different than the Israelites, right? So if I could, I had Brother Richard said he would, he would help me out here, just to lay down a, a, a drum rhythm that sounded more like a war rhythm, someone that's just coming to conquer. can hear the intimidation, the sound of just people marching in rhythm. It almost lets out like a little bit of a fear. Thank you, brother. And then I wanted to imagine what would the army sound like when Israel marched? Because it's very, very different. They already have the victory in their hearts. They already prayed and God told them, you've already won. It's my war, it's not your war. You've already won. So if Brother Richard, if you could lay down a really different one. You feel that? It feels like I'm excited. I'm going home. I've already won. I've already conquered. Your chest is up. Your chin is high. You're so excited. Thank you, God, for the victory. I can feel the army marching. We're excited. Woo! Thank you. What a talented. Thank you, brother. We can give him a hand. The man is a master. A master on the drums. A total master on the drums. Thank you, brother. So this 
if you imagine your, in your heart, in your mind, the sound of victory, the sound of how the Israelites would sound when going to war. And so I want to ask you guys this question. This is what I ask myself today a lot. What does your drum sound like? When I'm going into conflict, into conflict, what does my drum sound like? If I had, now God forbid this never happens. Of course, Pastor Phil is always innocent and perfect in all his ways. Only one's perfect, but if there was an ought between I had with me and him, which I don't foresee, but if there was, and I had, and by God's book, I have to approach him about it. If you have ought with your brother, you should go resolve it, right? So if I had to come to him, what does my drum sound like? Am I approaching him like that? Or am I approaching him with, hey, man, there's just something on my, on my mind, on my heart. I got to talk to you about it. It's all good. It's just something on my heart. You guys can hear the difference. And how many conflicts do we uh, embrace or go after that have a, you know, what is our sound? What is the sound of our drum? What is the sound of our shout? And what is another thing? God knows. I noticed something, too. Like, God isn't a complainer. Jesus knew he was going to get crucified and tortured, and he didn't complain. There's nothing worse to complain about. God sent me here to die. There's nothing worse to complain about. And he doesn't, he mentions it only in like little subtle ways to the disciples and kind of like, you know, but I'll be resurrected. When he cried in the garden, it was hardly a complaint at all. It was more of just, I'll do it. Whatever you want, I'll do it. It's hard, and if I don't have to, I I don't want to, but I'll do it. His heart still had a different sound. The drum was not destruction. It wasn't division. It was only, I'll still go. So Jesus, his countenance, I imagine when I, I would walk with him, I would probably never hear a complaint other than if you weren't, didn't have enough faith, you need to get rebuked, right? Or if he was talking about serious business with, the, with the, the Pharisees and rebuking them. But even that was you know, to correct somebody's heart in a very specific way. And so um, I won't be much longer, but there's a few other scriptures I wanted to bring up, which is, the first one is Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It says, uh, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Those things which you've seen me do, you do. And you just mentioned all these peaceful things, all these loving things. So the next scripture. Uh, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, and they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So my prayer for me, as it is for you today, is that even when you're fasting and you're hungry and you're hangry, do, you know, work yourself up. Give yourself courage. Think about God. Take a minute. Think about heaven. Be slow to anger. Do your best to not 
or I'll say it like this, to be like Jesus and not complain. There are so many times at my job, and I'll just end on, I'll be close to ending on this, which is just at my job, uh, we've had a lot of work, overworked. And if you know anything about me, um, I've had I've had some share of hard jobs, and now other people might say, oh, yeah, whatever, Brad. But, you know, I did, I, I worked uh, stone masonry in Florida in the summer, moving concrete block all day. It's hard, you know, it gets hot. It gets hot in the summer. I did some ER work, um, which if anybody was ever been walked in an ER, it's terrible, right? And as a nurse, you're like cleaning up all the worst stuff. You can only imagine, okay? The nastiest. And there's always way too much to do. There's never a day where I actually did enough that I could take a break for 12 hours, 13 hours, 14 hours. Every day, it didn't matter how, how hard I worked, there was more. And so, and even at this job now, and I'm surprised. Like when I first interviewed, I was like, there's no way I'm going to even get close to being tired because of the jobs I've done before. But still, we've been juggling uh, different appointments and different things. And so we just get, every single staff member is like, I'm exhausted. But there's something about my group and there's something about our leadership. They pray for the patients and they pray for people and they pray for us. And they try to encourage us to, to, to tell us frustrations, but don't complain. Have a countenance of joy. Come to us with issues because we need to know when we need to improve. But we don't want to be in an atmosphere of division and anger. and The drum, what is the sound of our office? Right? So despite exhaustion, despite emotional stress, whatever the stress is, I want to encourage you to be like the Lord and do your absolute best. The, the only thing that helps me is prayer. That's it. I've got to pray. When I'm rude to Sarah, and it can happen, she knows I get tired, I get cranky, I get hangry, and, and she gets the brunt of it, unfortunately. And, and when I notice it's happening, i got to pray, man. i got to pray, right? So uh, that's all I have for this evening, and thank you. Amen. Thanks, thanks, Brad. Amen. We'll uh, we'll be sure to be praying for you. Uh, amen. That's uh, I like that point about how Jesus <coughs> never complained about his his uh, dole in life. You know. So we are to be like him, and uh, we've got a long way to go. As long as we're moving in the right direction, I guess uh, that counts, right? Amen. Uh, and so we're switching to uh, the series we've been talking about, The Great Reset. Uh, Daniel, the second chapter, our reading begins in verse 31, where the Lord says, Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. The great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breasts and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken into pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The Great Reset tonight is part four of our series. Amen. And last week we discovered more and more about this great image that the first king of the Gentiles, King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the vision that he had. And this represents the Gentile kingdoms, this great image that would rule over the Jews starting around the year 600 B.C., going until the end of the times of the Gentiles, which, by the way, we are still in the times of the Gentiles. Uh, how do we know this? Is because Israel 
is not ruling the world. Gentiles are in charge, Gentiles are ruling, but there is coming a day where Israel will be ruling the world. Israel will be the world's superpower and will rule over the Gentile nations of the world. But until that day happens, we are still part of the Gentile time period. And that is what we see described in the book of Daniel, uh, the prophetic book talking about the future. And as we have learned that Daniel also had some dreams and visions of the same Gentile time period because uh, but Daniel sees them differently because he sees them as beasts because uh, these kingdoms are coming after the Jewish kingdom and will rule over them. And so he has a different interpretation, a different viewpoint than Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of the Gentile kingdoms uh, see. And so picture number one, uh, this is what we've been talking about, uh, the king uh, the king of Babylon was the golden head, and Daniel saw it as a lion with eagle's wings, uh, his power and swiftness. The next one was the arms of silver, um, and Daniel saw a, a, a bear, a giant bear, and he also saw a ram uh, lifted up on one side, representing the Persians that would take over the Medes. The next we see the, the, the body of brass. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw, but Daniel saw um, a four-headed lion, a leopard with four wings, representing Greece and the swiftness how they conquered the world in ten years, uh, and also uh, as a ram with a with a great horn, representing Alexander the Great. And so now we've moved on to uh, the legs of iron as the next part that we see uh, in this vision. And uh, we get to the legs of iron, and history tells us that after the Greeks conquered the world from 330 to about 150 or so B.C., uh, after the Greeks came through Alexander the Great, the next empire that rose to the earth and world superpower uh, was in 146, the nation of Rome conquered uh, the Grecian Empire. And Rome became the ruler of the world. And the Roman Empire stretched even further than Alexander the Great conquered in the Grecian Empire. Picture number two. This is the extent of the world, the Rome's empire uh, at its peak in about 117 A.D. It reached all the way, covered Italy, France, Spain, even up into Great Britain, all of northern uh uh, Africa, much larger than the Grecian Empire, uh, the Romans took over the world. And Rome ruled with an iron fist, uh, hence the legs of iron that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw. Unlike the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks, the Romans had an iron grip on its, on its empire. That is why the Roman Empire remained in power for more than four centuries, more than 400 years of total control over the world before things started to get shaky. And how they ruled with an iron fist, uh, have you ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Well, in this empire, if they're in charge, they wanted to make sure that all roads led to Rome, and so they built uh, the established an international highway system where they can connect the whole world back to the headquarters of Rome. And with these super uh, international highways, they would easily supply and reach and defend every part of its empire. And so nothing can get by the Romans because they were always on guard and they, they drove a tight ship. Uh, and so along these roads and in, in, in each of its cities and provinces that was under its empire, Rome established military bases and outposts and garrisons set up with the uh, soldiers, well-trained soldiers. And so they had military bases all over their empire to keep uh, control of the empire. They set up governors and rulers over these areas um, in order to keep control and to keep an iron grip on everyone, they had to have total control to have an empire that big for that long. And so we see 
that they were in power all throughout the New Testament. Rome was in power when Jesus arrived uh, to the earth and the, new, and the church was established. The Romans were in charge. Pontius Pilate, the Ro- he's a Roman. Governor Felix, uh, Roman, set up. King Herod, King Herod the Great, he, uh, you know who made him king of Judah? It wasn't the Jews, but the Roman Senate said, Herod, you're ruling over Judah uh, because the Rome, Romans were in charge. Even Jesus asked, was asked, is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar? Why would you ask about Caesar if Caesar wasn't in charge? Caesar ruled the world. And so what did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar things that are Caesar and unto God things that are God. And so obviously Rome taxed the world, taxed its empire, and they were asking Jesus, should we pay uh, the tribute, the tax to Caesar? And he says, give unto him what he's due. Uh, And so... And, and you don't think that Jesus' reputation made it all the way to Caesar's palace. I'm sure Caesar heard about this man called Jesus in, uh, in Judah. Um, and so you don't, uh, you see years later, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a citizen uh, of the great empire of Rome, he was a Roman citizen. And in Acts 25, Paul is on trial for his life for preaching the gospel. And he says... I appeal to Caesar. I appeal my case to Caesar, which is basically appealing your case to the Supreme Court of the United States government. The highest court in the land is where the the rubber meets the road. That's the final decision will be made. And so Paul's not liking his chances there with Felix and Festus and all those uh, governors there. He says, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he had the right to say that and to go to stand before Caesar because he was a citizen of Rome. Uh, And so after that in Acts 25, uh, we see he gets on a ship and he gets headed to Rome and he got the big uh, shipwreck and all those stories that happen. Why? Because he's headed to Rome because he appealed to, to Caesar. And so the Roman government are sending him to Rome. And then the final chapter of Acts, Acts 28, tells us that Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's been there for at least two years under house arrest, waiting for his chance, waiting for his moment to stand before Caesar and make his appeal, make his case. And um, Acts closes. We don't hear. That's the last we hear. Acts 28 ends that way and moves on. Uh, and so history tells us that uh, yeah, he did stand before Caesar and he did make his uh, appeal. And ultimately, Paul was uh, killed and crucified uh, at some point, martyred for the kingdom of, of God. Uh, but uh, he even writes to Rome, Romans, the people of the church in Rome, uh, underground church, whatever, however you have it. But there were believers in Rome. Obviously, there wouldn't be a book of Romans uh, if there weren't anybody there. Uh, and in Rome, in Romans, he talks about there's even people in Caesar's court that were believers, apostolics, that were uh, born-again believers. Uh, and, G- and Paul references them in his writings. And so the book of Acts ends with uh, Paul in Rome waiting to meet the, the world leader. Uh, and so the legs of iron represented the Roman Empire, um, and so we, we're moving to the final part of the great image, the last part that is described right before the stone comes and destroys the entire image. Um, in, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, as iron that breaketh all these shall it break into pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. 
Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with the miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And so the two legs of iron move down to the feet of iron and clay, and the ten toes on uh, both feet are represented. That's how Daniel sees the great fourth empire uh, the fourth beast, if you will. Um, well, that's how Nebuchadnezzar saw it. Daniel sees it like this in Daniel 7. And I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceeding strong. Uh, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break into pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn, uh, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes, and the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. And so, different picture from Daniel's image, but it represents the same uh, beast, the same fourth kingdom of the Gentile age. And here's where it really gets interesting, and I, I can tell you're on the edge of your seat already. Uh, but this, this ten-horned beast uh, that Daniel sees, the ten-horned beast, would, uh, would tie into the ten toes of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's image. The ten-horned beast is described many, many times throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation 13.1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were the feet of a bear, and his mouth as of the mouth of a lion. Where have we seen those beasts before? Same beast that Daniel saw, lion, a bear, and leopard. But John sees this great beast having parts of the previous beasts all mixed in. Um, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The reason why John sees uh, parts of the great, the fourth empire with parts of uh, all the previous empires is because uh, when Cyrus, the Persian, conquered Babylon, he didn't destroy the Babylonian culture. He didn't wipe out the Babylonian gods. No, he was... Uh, a polytheist, he believed in many gods, and he didn't want to upset the Babylonian gods, and so he let the Babylonian culture live, and so he merged the Babylonian culture in with the Persian culture. And so Babylon, in essence, was still alive in the Persians. And when the and same thing happened when the Grecians came and conquered Persia. They, they, they merged their gods, their culture, into the Greek culture. Um, and same with when Rome conquered Greece. Um, Rome conquered Greece militarily, but uh, the, the Greek culture and Greek empire still lived on uh, through the Roman Empire. That's why uh, the Greek goddesses uh, are also equated with Roman goddesses, gods and goddesses. They're the same gods, but uh, Rome's, Romans gave them a different a Roman name, but the Greeks had a different name. And so... The Greek Empire still lived on and actually conquered, uh, culturally conquered the Roman culture. And so, uh, in essence, since Babylon, really, these cultures are still alive in the world. Uh, they're just passed on through uh, each, each kingdom. And so we see the, at the end of the age, uh, we see this is mixed in with all uh, parts of the idolatrous cultures of the previous empires uh, and so the dragon gave this beast his power, his seat, and great authority. And who is the dragon? Revelation tells us the dragon is Satan himself, uh, the great dragon, Satan, the devil. And so the near, near the end of the times of the Gentiles, there will be a great beast, a great kingdom with ten horns, ten kings. And the Bible says Satan himself will give this beast his power and authority to rule this world. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Who has dominion over this world right now is Satan. He's the one who's ruling uh, things. He's on a tight leash, but he's he technically has uh, authority over here, dominion, because Adam gave him the dominion of the world. Thank you, Adam. Uh, and so 
in the last days, in the final seven years of this world, the nations of this world will unite together. And there will be a leader over these ten horns, these ten kingdoms, and he will be known as the Antichrist, possessed by Satan himself. He will have dominion over the whole earth, so much so that if you don't take his mark, you can't buy food. And chances are that you probably will be killed one way or another if you don't take the mark. Talk about an ironclad system. And now we may know about this or have heard about it, and, and, it, and it seems so futuristic uh, that we maybe feel we are so far from seeing this happen in our life. I mean, how is the world going to come together as United Nations? There are currently 193 nations uh, in the UN that come together and decide things globally for this world. Uh, and so there's 193 separate nations that come together. But then, according to Revelation, they would have to divide the world up into ten kingdoms, each having a king or a leader over this region of the world, if that's how it's going to play out. And then one of the one would rule over those ten kings, ten regions. Well, so happens that there's called an organization called the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome was created to address multiple crises facing humanity and the planet. And one of their solutions to the world is to split it into ten economic regions. Why did they choose ten? I don't know, but they chose ten. Uh, this, is the, this is how they broke it up. Uh, ten economic regions of the world. Uh, picture number three. Um, and so that's how they, uh, the Club of Rome, split up the world into ten regions. There would be a ruler over each region. Um, and then obviously there would be a ruler over the ten leaders of that. Um, and so uh, now... If there's already a plan in place, and if this is the way it plays out, we don't know how exactly it's going to play out, but we know that there's ten kingdoms in Revelation that rule over the world. Uh, and so if there's already plans in place for these things to happen, now all that we need is a worldwide event that is powerful enough to shut down every nation of the world at the same time. We need something that will level everything so that we can start what we really want to happen. So that all the nations of the world, no matter how great or how small, would have to come together and to fight the same threat. I'm not quite sure what that could be. Maybe it could be aliens. But whatever it is, I don't know, but we'll stop fighting each other for a time period and we'll unite together for a single purpose that is... Uh, taking over the world. And something like that, I think, would begin the beginning stages of a one-world government system. The beginning of a great reset. Well, aren't we so lucky, but then January 2021, the World Economic Forum will be meeting to discuss what they term as the Great Reset. Picture number four, uh, the Great Reset, their agenda for next year is talk about a Great Reset, the World Economic Forum. This is what they say about this already, uh, a Great Reset is necessary to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. It sounds, sounds good. The global health crisis has laid bare the unsustainability of our old system in terms of social cohesion, the lack of uh, equal opportunities and inclusiveness, nor can we turn our backs on the evils of racism and discrimination. We need to build into this new social contract of our intergenerational responsibility to ensure that we live up to the expectations of young people. They say the Great Reset will require us to integrate all stakeholder, stakeholders of global society into a community of common interest, purpose, and action. 
To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate. And every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed. And in short, we need a great reset of capitalism. This is on the agenda for 2021. I know that 2020 has been a crazy year. But you can stop worrying because starting next year, the World Economic Forum is planning on how to implement a great reset. Thanks to COVID-19, society is now conditioned to the belief that you can't enter a store unless you wear a mask. Can't enter now. Can't buy food unless you're wearing a mask. And so what, what comes after that? We're, we're conditioned already. It took, took a couple months, but we're conditioned. The world's, world's accepted that. So what, 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 what comes next after that? You, well, you can't enter the store until we scan your phone, which tells us if you've taken the COVID vaccine or not. Forget the masks. We're going to see if you've taken the COVID vaccine. There's already apps out there that are helping to track that. And once the vaccine is available, um, if you haven't received the COVID vaccine, you can't enter. Matter of fact, you can't come to work because you're a threat. You can't be a part of society because you're a threat and a danger to the rest of the world. Oh, and since you're a threat, we will send public health officials to your house and we'll take your kids away to a approved facility while you quarantine yourself and get over the sickness because we're, we're concerned about them. Microsoft has uh, called something, invented something called invisible quantum dot tattoos, where it's a tattoo, you can't see it's invisible. It hides under your skin, but they... You can scan it, and the, the invisible ink will show itself, and it will be scanned and be able to tell you maybe of your medical records and more specifically what vaccines you have received or haven't received. If you don't have that, then they can tell you you haven't taken the vaccines that they want you to take. Uh, and so, therefore, you won't be able to enter the stores until they scan your hands or whatever. Whatever form or fashion, it doesn't matter what it is. The, the thing is, is we've already started with the masks. We're already up and down that path. We've already accepted the fact that we can't get in without a mask. And so uh, once they start pressing even harder um, and forcing more things, uh, vaccines or scanning your phone, um, it's, all gonna, it's all falling into place. It's all starting now. Thank you, COVID-19. But, Pastor, this is America. Ain't nothing like that going to happen here. Musicians of you would come. The Federal Reserve is currently looking into a digital dollar. Digital dollar where every American will be required to open an account with the Fed. Doesn't matter where you currently have your bank. If you want the Fed money, you're going to have to open a federal account with their banking, whatever system that they have. And they've already looked, they're looking into this and they're just uh, waiting for things to happen. Uh, to which uh, when you have your federal account, what the Fed wants to do is they just want to give you the money immediately. Just just give you right the money. Right now, Congress has to pass it, and then it passes through the central banks, and the checks are cut. The IRS funds it and sends you the check, and then, you know, they, they pass it. It, ta it takes them two months to figure out how much they're going to give you, and then it takes another two months for the check to get to your house. And the Fed says when crises come, it would be much easier if we can just boom direct deposit it to our to the Americans. That way, in two day in two days, twenty four hours, you've got the check in there. You've got your Trump check in your in your bank account within two days, and that all all because we want to help save the economy. Because the quicker we get our money, the quicker we can put it back in the economy, and we don't have to hit recessions and depressions and all these things. And, and so, uh, for for crisis. 
we need federal accounts where the Fed can just deposit money into your account. Sounds wonderful. Um, but once this happens and is implemented, cash is no longer going to be accepted. Cash will be going away. You can see that right now. The cash is going away. It was already declining, but now COVID, you know, COVID lives on cash, so people aren't taking cash now. It's so filthy. It was filthy way before COVID showed up. But now people aren't, aren't taking cash for COVID reasons. Um, and um, isn't it convenient that all of a sudden now we have a coin shortage? Can't, why can't we have coins anymore? Oh, there's a shortage. People are hoarding pennies. It's got to be, that's crazy. But, you know, it's just, it's just all maybe a coincidence. I don't know. But uh, the great thing is about digital money, digital currency, digital dollars, is that you can track every single dollar. The government will know where you spend your money, how much you get, because they'll give you the money. They'll know how much you get. And they know exactly where every dime, every penny that you spend, where it is. Because it's digital. You can track it all. No more piggy banks. No more yard sales. No more stashing cash in your safe. No more paying uh, the neighbor $20 to cut your grass. No more putting money in birthday cards for your kids. There's no cash. Everything is tracked. The Fed will know where every cent goes. Oh, and if you're spending your money on something the government doesn't like, guess what? Flick the switch, your account doesn't work. Oh, and you don't take the vaccine, the COVID vaccine or whatever whatever they want to say, you don't take that? Oh, we'll just flick the switch and your, your, your Fed account doesn't work. The only account that you have doesn't work now. You can't, you can't buy anything. It's declined. Like your card's declined, gets declined in the store. That's how your account will be. If you don't do what the government wants, that's okay. It's your choice. You don't want to take the vaccine or you don't want to do what we want to do. That's fine. It's your choice. You're just not going to receive any more money. Your account will be deactivated, declined. You're not going to be able to survive in the system. Oh, it looks like you're one of those religious fanatics that believe the Bible. Well, we've labeled your religion as a terrorist organization, a religion of hate. Because you preach against homosexuality and abortion, pedophilia, you preach, preach against all that stuff. And, and so uh, you believe that, that's fine. You can believe that if you want, but let me just hit this button and deactivate your federal account. And then you can't buy or sell because your digital dollars don't work. And to help with all of this tracking, Microsoft has a patent that is numbered 060606. It tracks your physical movements and your activity and determines if you can receive digital money or not. Their patent number, again, is 666. Interesting enough. That it tracks your physical movements and determines if you can receive money or not. They applied for that patent earlier this year. So we have reached the day where our technology will be able to track Every single human being on the planet. All this turmoil and drastic changes that we've experienced over the past six months needed to happen to bring the world closer in these last days. The feet, the toes, the ten toes, the, the, the iron and the clay mixing together. The final fourth kingdom of the Gentile world uh, it, has, it has to happen. Revelation says it. Daniel saw it. It has to happen. And we're a part of the Gentile, the times of the Gentiles. Uh, and so uh, this has to happen whether we're here or not, uh, whether we live to see it or not. Uh, it's going to happen. And we have the technology that can actually be put in place where something like this can actually happen, where somebody doesn't take the mark and they can't eat, they can't buy or sell. That's... You know, for decades, you, how can you, they can't imagine that happening. But now with technology, you can easily see how that happens. We're that close to things being activated. And so thanks to COVID-19, the foundation is being laid right now 
for the one world government. One world financial system, one world ruler, the Antichrist. And if the stage is already being set up, as we speak, the plans are already in place. They needed something to shift this world and bring us together. And so if the stage is already set up and these things are already ready to be implemented, then I, I believe that the Antichrist is alive right now somewhere on the world in a seat of power, but he just hasn't been revealed yet. Everything, the stage is set, then he will step onto the world stage with his authority and power given to him by Satan himself, and he will rule the final Gentile kingdom of the world. And then the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. You stand with me tonight. But as we know that the ten-toed kingdom, the ten-horned kingdom, is great and terrible as Daniel sees it. It's greater and worse than every other kingdom on the earth. But we know that that is not how it ends. Because he sees a stone that is not made with hands coming and smashing this great beast into many pieces and scattered it where all across the world. The Antichrist kingdom is not the final kingdom. But he has to have his kingdom before Jesus has his kingdom. That's what the Bible says. You may not like the Antichrist. He may not like you. But he has to have his kingdom before Jesus comes. And so if you don't want Antichrist kingdom to come, then you're delaying Jesus' kingdom. Because he has to come and then Jesus is going to come and crush his kingdom. The stone that is coming as Daniel describes is the ancient of days. It's Jesus Christ and he's coming to vanquish his enemies. He's coming to set up his kingdom upon this earth and Jesus is going to make uh, us kings and priests in the rule in his kingdom. He is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. And uh, There is a great reset that is coming and it's a reset of holiness. It's a reset of righteousness. It's a reset of glory, and Jesus is going to bring that reset here to this world, and we're going to be coming with him to rule and reign on this world. And I'm thankful that it doesn't end with the great horned beast, but I'm thankful that it ends with Jesus Christ, the ruling for a thousand years, a thousand years of peace. I'm thankful to be a part of that kingdom right now. Amen. To be born again of the water and of the spirit and born into the kingdom of God because we know there's a great day that's coming where Jesus is returning soon for his people. And I want to be ready for that, don't you? Amen. Why don't we worship the Lord together? Why don't we give him praise? Magnify his name together. Is our God. Sing with me.
to be praised. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you, Lord, for your power, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do for us. We give you the praise and the glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're a, a sports fan, amen, the book of Revelation basically is like, uh, describes the Super Bowl in the end times play-by-play, play, how things are going to happen between the Gentiles and the, the Jews, and it's it's not a game that you want to be involved in, I'll tell you that. You don't want to be around for that. Bible describes over half the world's population will be killed, four billion people dead, two-thirds of the Jews will be killed, two-thirds of the Jews. The Holocaust wiped out one-third. Great Tribulation, two-thirds of the Jews will be killed. Half the Gentile population will be wiped out. That's, that's just the beginning of things. Things get a whole lot worse. But you don't want to be around for that Super Bowl. You want to be in, the, uh, in the, the balcony seats watching things happen, play out. Um, and if uh, uh, God gives you that pass, he gives you that opportunity to sit in the box seats. Uh, but you got to be born again. Repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, fill the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, and you got to live a righteous life. Amen. Because you don't want to be here. You don't want to be here for that Super Bowl because it gets it gets really bad. So bad that God has to wipe out the earth, burn it with fire, and start over. Amen. So uh, I'm thankful to be on the winning side, God's team. Amen. Because he brings us through everything. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.